0: I'm Salima Hammurani, and on today's Making Contact. As the housing crisis expands across the country, more and more people find themselves living in encampments, trying to create a home with whatever they have. But even then, they face displacement.
1: I just couldn't believe it, like, I'm I'm back on the streets. I couldn't believe this, like, why would you guys do that? Like, you know, you guys gave us hope, and then now you guys just threw us back out like, there was, like, with the world, you know I'm mean? saying? Like, you guys there. know that we're getting, like, we're fighting not with women, okay, we're fighting with dudes, men.
0: We take a look at the housing crisis in Oakland, California, and the waves of evictions people face even when they're already living on the street. And we talk to activists working with homeless communities during the coronavirus pandemic. The Bay Area has one of the highest homeless populations in the United States. In Oakland, for example, new encampments sprawl under freeways and abandoned lots. And there's something many residents have taught themselves to ignore on the way to work. Less visible, however, are the cycles of evictions unhoused people face at the hands of the city and the toll it takes. Reporter Lucy Kang follows two women as they struggle to find peace and safety on the street.
1: There's not even animal living standards, I don't think. Because I wouldn't even want my dogs to live out here. Seriously.
2: Look at this place. This is a dump. Monjoy Tracy Staley is putting on fake eyelashes in front of a mirror. Sorry, I was using a mirror. That's
1: right.
2: <laughs> She's sitting on the porch of a tiny house on a dirt lot. We're at the corner of Oakland's East 12th Street and 23rd Avenue, next to an overpass and train tracks. Most people would call this place a homeless encampment. But for people like Tracy, it's as close to home as they're going to find in the Bay Area, one of the regions that's hardest hit by the housing crisis. I visited in January of 2019. That's when I met Tracy. I also met a woman named Kimberly Madrano who lives here. Like Tracy, she says it's hard living in the encampment. There's been a lot of problems, like trash. We only allow the trash to be picked
3: up twice a week. You won't let us have garbage cans or dumpsters to put it in, so we're just throwing it on the ground. The rat population is crazy.
2: There's also a problem with the toilets. Officially, the city provided porta-potties, but the contractor didn't clean them on schedule, so they overflowed. What I do is I crap in a
3: bag and get rid of the bag, or I use a bucket and then pour the pee out. There were fires. Fires there all the time. Every other day, there was some kind of fire. There's been major fires over there,
1: people know.
2: And there were even a number of deaths. Five deaths that
1: happened here. Feel me that ever since I've been here, five people have died on this ground because of um, natural causes, or they claim it natural causes, but I don't think so. I think it's because, we, because of them being outside and it's so cold, they get sick, you know? So then, you know, their body can't take because they're old and they die.
2: Despite all the problems, the residents of the encampment tried to make as best a life as they could. Take Kimberly, for example. She lived in a wooden structure with a smaller tent inside for a bedroom. She used a propane stove for heat, and she got her water from a nearby faucet.
3: And I would heat a little bit on the stove, and I'd have my bowl, and I'd have my mirror right there, and, you know, I'd wash my face and brush my
2: teeth and whatever I needed to do. Take a bath sometimes, full bath. Kimberly carved out a home in East 12th and 23rd that gave her some feeling of autonomy and stability. She stayed for that, and because there was no other place to go. The thing is, this encampment was the product of other evictions. Back in 2017, the city of Oakland, California, promised this land to an organization called The Village that ran a self-governed, unhoused community. It was grassroots, backed by local support. And it had the potential to be more stable than most places. But things didn't work out. Tracy was living on a median strip on East 12th and 16th Avenue, a few blocks away. And then the city made her move, which it did to a lot of unhoused people around Oakland. One day the city dump truck came over and said that, um, you feel me, we have to move them there
1: or they're going to throw all their shit away. And then the people that can't move their stuff, they're going to get thrown
2: away, whatever. So they put all their in their dump truck, literally put on the dump truck, came here and dumped us out of here. Oakland Assistant City Administrator Joe DeVries says it was necessary to shut down the East 12th Street median.
4: That location was, was extremely problematic uh, in some of the activity that was happening there. There were some fires, there were people that were, had built structures in the trees.
2: And the city thought it had a better idea. They evicted everyone off the median and then said they could move to East 12th and 23rd, where the city was just starting to provide some services. But there were too many people for this limited plot of land.
4: We did encourage them to move down to East 12th and 23rd. Um, it was a small group, we think around 12, maybe up the highest, 15 people.
2: What does encouraged mean?
4: Well, it was one of the few times where people said, well, where should we go? And we said, well, if you want to go down here, there's going to be porta potties, weekly garbage service and handwashing stations, which was a new thing. So at the East 12th median, we're like, all right, yeah, we are closing this. It's dangerous. You can't be here. We, we really feel strongly that we have to close this encampment. That one's just down the street. You can be there. Like, it just seemed like a logical thing to, to help with that process.
2: Around the same time, the city evicted several homeless encampments across Oakland, and word got out that the city was letting people stay at East 12th and 23rd. Here's Kimberly again. There's 100 people
3: there, 100 people. How much garbage do you think? And then people were just dumping stuff, like, like, a gar- like their garbage or their furniture, and we'd have to stop and say, look, people live here, don't do that. It made us look bad. We're not all bad people. We're not all lazy people. We're, we're you know, because all it takes is one person to mess
2: it up. At East 12th and 23rd, everywhere I look are tents or tiny houses and piles of clothes, broken furniture, and trash bags. It feels like a place in transition. And that's because people are getting ready to move out. Not because of the overcrowding or the overflowing toilets, not even because of the rats, but because the city is just days away from evicting everyone. It turns out that the city let the village build a community here before it knew the site had to be cleared for construction. So now everyone has to move, again, into another situation that the city thinks is a better idea. The eviction takes place over several days. As it starts, city workers descend on East 12th and 23rd. Kimberly describes frantically trying to save her things before they're destroyed. Um, it was really muddy, it was slippery, there was garbage everywhere,
3: People stuff in the way. Uh, there was so many police officers and po- mostly police officers and public works people. It was ridiculous. I mean, I had to go around them. So everything was broken in the street and everything. Nobody's uh, helping us with traffic. Me and three of my neighbors, at least, were flattened already. There was nothing left.
2: When we think of displacement, we typically think of people being pushed out of apartments or houses, or people forced to move far from cities they used to live in. But there's another type of displacement that's happening in cities across the country. It happens over and over again nearly every week, On the street, intense cities or encampments, underpasses or public parks. People who have already lost their homes are forced to undergo the trauma of eviction, not once, not twice, but multiple times. People like Kimberly and Tracy. So what happens after Kimberly and Tracy get kicked out of East 12th and 23rd? Usually, they'd move to another encampment or back onto the sidewalks to await another eviction. But the city had launched a new program at the end of 2017 to temporarily shelter people in dozens of tough sheds, basically rudimentary two-person cabins made by the company that also makes backyard tool sheds. Oakland city officials call them community cabins. The city-run tough shed sites are meant to provide emergency shelter to residents for six months and then connect residents to support services. I don't know if we want Talia
4: or Laura to come over. I'm not sure if there's a, I mean, there's. A, as you can see, there's still construction going on, but I'm not sure if they have a one particular unit they want you to see or not.
2: Assistant City Administrator Joe DeVries shows me the new site right before it's set to officially open. And uh,
4: you can see, actually, that they're not, they're not tool sheds. <laughs> um, there's, there's. There's bats of insulation underneath here, and then they have this vinyl... They
2: may be more stable than a tent under an overpass, but they also lack a lot of things houses would have.
4: They don't have full electrical, <clears throat> in part due to just cost and due to safety. We don't have running water at the sites. That's a, that's a heavy lift from a contracting point of view, from a construction point of view. But we do have Lava May providing shower services a few times a week.
2: The city's strategy was to open these sites while closing surrounding encampments. And not just on East 12th Street, but all over Oakland. The city originally said there would be enough space at the Tuftshed site for just about everyone getting displaced. But it turns out they didn't have enough spots for everyone. Here's Joe DeVries four months after the eviction.
4: Um, there were more people at the site than originally were there when we did the census. It was really hard to figure out who actually lived there and who didn't.
2: Sort of from the beginning, there weren't enough spots at the Miller Tuftsheds to accommodate all the people in the encampment, No.
4: Well, it does mean that, uh, but we don't have enough spots to accommodate the homeless in Oakland in emergency shelter right now. I mean, that's, that's absolutely true.
2: That means the city forced a lot of people back onto the sidewalks after they closed the encampment at East 12th and 23rd. That's after the city encouraged people to move to the encampment. Fortunately, Tracy and Kimberly didn't end up on the street, at least not right away. They were both given spots in the tough sheds, which sounds great. A little cabin, all to yourself and one other person. A little warmer and more protected. But the sheds come with their own set of problems. They all had to agree to rules.
4: The rules are pretty lax. You pretty much just can't start fires, you can't sell drugs, and you can't be physically violent towards another
2: person. But there are more rules. Leave for more than 72 hours and you lose your spot. You're not allowed burners or open flames. And if you break the rules, you're asked to leave. According to figures the city sent me in July 2019, over 40 percent of people who left the Miller Avenue tough sheds were evicted for violating the rules. And after living self-sufficiently on the streets, or rather being forced to, some people found it hard to adjust to rules and authority. Here's Kimberly Medrano again. Well, come to find out, we're not able to cook here at all.
3: So it's hard. I'm used to cooking or oh, starving, you know, and then we're at the mercy of whatever they cook for, for breakfast, which I don't really cook anything for breakfast. Just one day, maybe they heat something up. You're, you're kind of at their mercy and, you know, it's at the end of the month. I mean, I've lost weight. I know that because my, my bra is sweet way too big. So Unfortunately, that's where
4: I lose it first. So,
2: And in the end, the tough sheds are not a permanent solution. You're only allowed to stay six months.
4: The hope is that we can move people out of there and into housing so that we can invite more people in.
2: But the city's data from July 2019 shows that only about a quarter of people at the Miller Avenue tough Shed site went into housing after six months. For the remaining three quarters, people either abandoned the program or were kicked out. And what happens to them next underlines the human cost of these ongoing displacements. After the tough sheds, a few lucky residents did find housing, like Kimberly. Kimberly got subsidized housing through a program run by Kaiser Permanente and Bay Area Community Services, or BACS. She seems much more relaxed. The next time I talk to her, um, I guess specifically, how is your day to day like life changed? Well, basically, I'm getting some sleep. <laughs>
3: which I wasn't getting with the roommate I had and in, 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 in the tough sheds and the, in the chaos. Um, it's a lot more quiet. Um, it's nice to be able to take a shower every day if I want to.
2: The program was subsidizing most of Kimberly's rent, but that stopped earlier this year. I wasn't able to reach Kimberly, though a back spokesperson did tell me that all participants were still in housing. I should also mention that a recent KPIX news investigation questioned Bach's long-term effectiveness. Ultimately, Kimberly says she wants to be on her own. She wants to buy a trailer.
3: It's like a little home, and it would be mine, and I could pay cash for it.
2: Most people, however, are not as lucky as Kimberly. Tracy, for example, is back on the streets, a block away from the old spot. When I talked to her this time, she's with Morgan, who's not using her real name. They were both in the Miller Avenue tough sheds around the same time. And they both got evicted after physical altercations with other residents. Evictions aren't new to Tracy and Morgan, but getting evicted from the city-run tough sheds hit hard because it was a place they were supposed to feel safe. I just couldn't believe it. Like, I'm, I'm back on the streets. I couldn't believe this. Like... Why would you guys do
1: that? Like, you know, you guys gave us hope, and then now you guys just threw us back yeah, out like, there was, like, with the wolves, you know what I'm saying? Like, you guys them. know that we're getting, like, we're fighting not with women, okay, we're fighting with dudes, men.
2: And for them, it's literally a life or death situation. Morgan says she was scared to go to sleep after she got evicted from the tough sheds.
1: On several occasions, one of my girlfriends, um, she woke up and there was somebody having sex with her. And that, and the reason why she woke up to that is she was had been up for so long trying to stay awake that finally she passed out and went to sleep. Didn't mean to, but went to sleep, and when she woke up, that's what she woke up to.
2: Sexual and physical assault are disturbingly common among unhoused women. A 2014 study in San Francisco showed that 60% of unhoused women experience violence, including sexual violence, in the last six months. The women I spoke to thought about it a lot.
1: As a woman, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't even have to go through what I went through. And as of a city, you know, they should have, you know, um, low-income housing for people to be able to stay inside so they don't have to live out here to put themselves at risk like this, you know? Because I'm fortunate that I'm still alive, but other
2: people would probably not have made it like how I did, you know? It's hard not to feel overwhelmed by the scale of homelessness and stories from women like Tracy and Morgan and Kimberly. But women like them are also on the forefront of changing how the city responds. Oakland is a testing ground for solutions that come from unhoused people, and women in particular. They include self-governed tiny house encampments like the village, or the orchestrated squatting campaigns like Moms for Housing that target corporately owned buildings sitting empty all over Oakland. At least some of the answers to the homelessness crisis will come and have to come from unhoused people themselves who are living on the streets and know all too well what's at stake if they can't find safe places to live. This is Lucy Kang reporting for Making Contact from Oakland, California.
0: You were just listening to reporter Lucy Kang talking about the ongoing raids on homeless encampments and the emotional and physical toll they take on the people who live there. And you're listening to Making Contact. To listen to any past shows, visit radioproject.org. Subscribe to our podcast, get our updates, or support our work at radioproject.org. Reporter Lucy Kang worked on that piece before the coronavirus pandemic. So we wanted to do an update on her segment by taking a look at how homeless communities are dealing with COVID-19. And for that, we got in touch with Candace Elder, Executive Director of the East Oakland Collective. So Candace, how are people you're working with, particularly the homeless, responding to COVID-19?
5: They are responding as best as they can. Curbside communities have experienced sanitation issues before COVID-19, so that's lack of access to showers, portable toilets, hand-washing stations, trash pickup, and then after COVID-19, shelter in place. Folks who had gym memberships, you know, the gym is closed, so they can't even use the gym to to, uh, take a shower, to wash their hands, to clean up. There were the mobile shower buses, and I believe some of them have suspended their services due to health and safety concerns. So people are relying on supplies, but then the supplies are scarce. You know, there's like no hand sanitizer in the world (laughs) right right now.
0: And how are people in curbside communities dealing with the shelter-in-place order?
5: So I think our unhoused residents are very resilient. A lot of, especially like the seniors that I work with who are living on the streets, they kind of shelter in place anyways for safety reasons because they're afraid, you know, they go outside and they're away for too long, that their stuff will be stolen. You know, they have pets and things to watch over. I am seeing the fear starting to increase a little bit because they're lacking supplies. And then now with the curbside communities are suffering from food scarcity, that's when it hit home for a lot of people. So the agencies such as EOC, and a lot of my colleagues, a lot of even larger like nonprofits, the soup kitchens, folks are closed. So EOC, we have been scrambling to find new food sources. We were serving, pre-COVID-19, we were serving 400 meals a week, and our caterer closed. So now we have been scrambling and working with generous and gracious donations from restaurants. We're exploring getting excess produce from farmer's market. So we're just having to improvise.
0: Across the country, homeless encampments are among the most vulnerable communities when it comes to disease. And that's been true even before COVID-19. There have been outbreaks already in streetside communities of diseases like hepatitis and even so-called medieval diseases like typhus. And that's because of sanitation problems and because it's hard to do quote "social distancing on the street for
4: The homeless fight the spread of COVID. hotels for the homeless
0: fight the These protesters spread. are in their cars outside of the Moscone Center in San Francisco. The Moscone Center is basically a huge open auditorium in which the city wanted to house the homeless during the pandemic. Beds were placed on the floor six feet apart, and residents would be breathing in the same air in an enclosed space. It's basically
5: a massive shelter, and that makes Candace worried. Um, Because shelters is just a mass of people in one room. They're sleeping, walking, and breathing in very close proximity to a lot of people. And that's the problem with shelters. That's the problem with the city of Oakland's tough shed cabin communities when there's two strangers to a room. So we're trying to lessen contact between people to prevent outbreak. Candace, like the protesters you
0: can hear, have a better idea.
5: We're outside Mayor
4: Breed's press conference right now where she has said that she was gonna put the thousands of people who are on the streets of San Francisco into housing, into hotel rooms. She hasn't done it yet. We're demanding that those people get into housing, get into safe, healthy spaces to live. We need housing for the homeless. We need hotels for the homeless to fight the spread of COVID.
5: Let's open up these hotel rooms, not only for those who are sick or showing symptoms, but, you know, hotel rooms for any unhoused person so that they can actually shelter, truly, truly shelter in place.
0: That was Candace Elder, executive director of the East Oakland Collective. And just as an update, the protest outside of the Moscone Center successfully convinced the city of San Francisco not to shelter the homeless there. Protesters are continuing to push the city to use empty hotel rooms instead. So in the first half of the show, our reporter Lucy Kang followed two women as they underwent several evictions, even though they were already homeless. We wanted to end our show talking about why so many people are forced to live on the street and what we can possibly do to combat the housing crisis. Joining us is Noni Session.
6: My name is Noni Session. I am a third generation West Oaklander, an anthropologist, researcher, and the executive director of the East Bay Permanent Real Estate Cooperative.
0: Noni argues that we need to totally change the way that we think about homelessness.
6: There is this sort of overall thing we call the housing crisis, which is not really a housing crisis, it's a distribution crisis, it's a political crisis. There's the thing called mass homelessness, right? But what it is is racialized
0: displacement. In fact, she argues that we need to start thinking about housing as a right, a human right, and not as something that we're forced to earn through the market.
6: If there was someone withholding water, right, withholding food from a family, it would become very clear to you that that was cruel, that it was anti-human, right? If we extract housing from that really kind of insidious, symbolic framework called the commodity, then it brings it into the question of humanity and the purpose of cities and governments, which is to take care of its people and make sure its people have their basic
0: needs. Activists have been pushing governments to treat housing as a basic need for decades now, like this group of women who took over empty homes in Los Angeles. They call themselves Reclaiming Our Homes, and they're modeled on a similar direct action that started in Oakland called Moms for Housing. Here's some members of Reclaiming Our Homes.
7: Good morning, everyone. My name is Ruby. I'm a parent of three. We've been having a very difficult housing situation for some time. We are urging that vacant houses become homes. What we're gonna do is we're gonna occupy this house, make it a home. We're gonna bring life to it, not only in the inside with human beings, but on the outside. Hello, my name is Marta Escudero. I am from Reclaiming Our Homes. I was born and raised here in California, and when I was growing up, Skid Row was in downtown LA, and now all of California is Skid Row. All of California. That's a shame on the government. There are hundreds of houses here that are abandoned for 30 years, while there's people in tents families and seniors the most vulnerable and that's why i'm urging the governor to stand by our side and meet our demands we want all these houses to be occupied by human beings now immediately Right on. Right on. Right on. houses. especially now with the coronavirus it is really a safety hazard to have all these people on the streets while there's empty houses they're state-owned and they're empty So, we're not doing anything wrong. All the reclaimers are in vulnerable housing situations. For myself, I'm a mother of two daughters, and we've been in unstable housing for a year and a half. And they have this anxiety due to that. And it increases our vulnerability to illness, not only mental health, but physical as well. This is a health hazard.
0: Housing is a human right. Right Medicare is a human right.
3: Right
0: Okay, so, Noni, you know, we just heard from some members of Reclaiming Our Homes who had to forcibly take over an empty building for shelter during COVID-19. And my question for you is, what surprised you about the way the cities responded to COVID-19 and what they say they can and cannot do?
6: The thing that has most surprised me is that the capital has become available to emergency house folks. When folks have been struggling with our city and municipality for at least since since 2011 to provide emergency housing for folks to get them off the street and to channel food and support and resources to them, when we've been told that there's no money available for it, there's no organizational and infrastructural way to hold that work, but it has suddenly appeared out of budgets that were otherwise kept opaque.
0: So, okay, do you think there's a way to use that momentum in a time of crisis to keep pushing society to be more fair?
6: This is the thing about capitalist production, is emergency capitalism is how we're all kept off balance. There's always capital available for the emergency because there's always reserve capital. But when you are trying to access that capital, to normalize people, to build dignified housing, there is when you are not going to be able to access capital under this new economy that needs to have really vulnerable and destabilized people.
0: Noni, so then you think the shift, the excess capital we're seeing right now is temporary?
6: I like what I'm seeing, right? I'm seeing a lot of solidarity networks forming. And so where I believe that we can extend our organizing is where almost every sustained political movement has, has extended its organizing to the actual Black and Brown folk who are the subject of the capitalist mill, right? And so it's really great to see the white folk and the privileged folk and even the working class and working poor folk coalescing around this vision. And we need to bring a larger segment of our community into this vision and into this conversation.
0: You were just listening to Noni Session, Executive Director of the East Bay Permanent Real Estate Cooperative, talking about market forces in the housing crisis and how to combat them. And that's it for this edition of Making Contact. And we want to hear from you. What do you think about the housing crisis and coronavirus? Join the conversation on Facebook. Our Twitter handle is making contact and on Instagram, we're making contact radio project. The Making Contact team includes Monica Lopez, Anita Johnson, Aisha Chowdhury, Lisa Rudman, Catherine Steyer, and I'm Salima Hamarani. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.